Nah, it looks weird on mine, but we'll okay, give it a go. Sorry. We'll give it a go. We'll see what happens. It's science, yeah. right? All right. That's it. Um, Hello, and welcome to Data Driven, the podcast where we explore the emerging field of data science. We bring the best minds in data, software engineering, machine learning, and artificial intelligence. Now, here are your hosts, Frank Lavinia and Andy Leonard. Hello, and welcome to Data Driven, the podcast where we explore the emerging fields of data science, machine learning, and artificial intelligence. If you like to think of data as the new oil, and you can consider us like, well, car talk. And with me on this epic road trip down the information superhighway for the first time together in one virtual car, if you will, uh, Andy Leonard <laughs> and I. How's it going? Good, Frank. How are you I'm doing? I'm doing all right. It's uh, it's uh, good to actually sit down in the studio uh, and actually record something. Uh, you and I have both been I uh, very busy. And uh, we have. We, uh, you did an awesome job, by the way, at Pass. Just saying. Thank you, Frank. Um, you know, it was a uh, it was a great summit. Uh, got to talk to a lot of really interesting people. I didn't record everything, of course, but um, I, I think um, considering Ignite was running the same week, uh, it was a pretty impressive past summit. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was pretty cool. Um, you know, for those listeners, um, you know, based on our traffic, because we do look at our traffic numbers. Not that we. We live and die by our traffic. Uh, we are data scientists after all. Um, we don't look at our yes. own analytics. Uh, how can we convince other people <laughs> to look at their analytics? Maybe we should, we, we'll start looking. Now. Um, but, um, I mean, it was wildly successful, actually. the um, Some of the best traffic we've had in a while, actually. Um, true. Very true. And, and, you know, the behind-the-scenes stuff, we got some feedback online social media about that and i was shocked that anybody would want to hear <laughs> some of that but uh we did we got, we got some really positive comments about you know and uh, to to be fair if you want to see the video and we always do these um data I, well almost always do data points as video on facebook live and uh frank has a bunch of automation built where he pushes like two buttons and it just goes everywhere it's amazing so, but you could see the video that accompanies the audio for the data points uh, at our Facebook page. Uh, I, f I think it's Data Driven TV or Data Driven Podcast. Unedited. Um, Facebook.com okay. slash Data Driven TV. Yep. Um, and it's unedited too. So if you, sometimes the there's a comedic value. Uh, in... You do get the, the raw blooper yes. filled footage. Yes. Sometimes kids screaming about donuts. That was a, I love that so. show. That's still my favorite data point. <laughs> I often think back to that. It's like, well, somebody was like, well, what do you do with the raw video? I was like, oh, we leave it. That's hilarious. You know, because it just shows like another, you know, the inside of the chaos of, of podcasting and life. There you, you go. Because a lot of things on social media are so polished. Like you look at Instagram. We are not polished. Uh, right. Well, not even that, but Instagram is the highlight reels. Yeah. You know, for other people, it's like you don't see kind of like you know the 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 truck going by <laughs> that ruins your audio. <laughs> that was what was that? There was something at a school or something you were talking about, and they kept. 
Oh, is the it's ha- I, I my phone when as soon as I put it do a Facebook Live is like a truck magnet. <laughs> so it's happened multiple times. That was the one. One was in front. Of, yeah, one was in front of a driving school because I was talking about um, uh, self-driving cars and kind of the unintended consequences of you know with the, with the basic thesis. Uh, we, we, I also did a show about this, right? If you just do a search for Circle K, yeah. is the idea that before the data is the new oil, let, let's go back and take a look at like well what. Did oil change? Obviously, it changed a lot of things, good, bad, sure. uh, and everything in between. Uh, but you know, can you imagine the idea of what a convenience store attached to a gas station? Mm-hmm. If you told somebody a century ago, right? Like that'd be weird. That's- so now I, I was kind of thinking about well, another unintended consequence is if self-driving cars are going to become a commonplace, then places like driving schools, um, you know, what, what's going to happen to them? True. So it was a great show. And then uh, great show. Yes, thank you. And um, sure enough, like I, the it was like must have been a parade of like eighteen wheelers <laughs> with loud with no mufflers. No mufflers. Uh, they must have got a text saying like Frank's recording. Frank's recording. Drive uh, by. It also happened when um, uh, somebody with a beautiful muscle car, I think it was, when I was in Richmond for Sequel Trails. Oh wow. Um, I recorded something with a colleague of mine, Devin Jaswell. Uh-huh. Shout out Devin if you're listening. Um, and, um, that's a good show too. And, uh, like the guy had like, you know, decided to floor it. Like, I don't know. (laughs) Anyway, I think I won the noise prize. This is not car talk or truck talk. Yeah. I I think I won the noise prize at Heathrow. Yes. Actually, that was the one that, um, you recorded right at the Heathrow airport. Yeah. And I was like, you know. Well, if I can clean this up, I can clean up anything. And you did. Thus far, that has held true. Yeah, yes. yeah, you did it. <laughs> but what, have, but, what um, have you been up to, Frank? So I have been heads down on a number of uh, projects. Um, they changed my role, so I'm more of a cloud solutions architect. Okay. Which means I kind of have more of a, a hands-on role in building out proofs of concept and kind of mentoring and training, which I think is cool. You I, play I like that. all day long, and essentially, that's what you're saying. I I do play all day long. <laughs> yes, um, it is a blessing and a gift uh, to love one's work. That's for sure. That is so true. And we're um, both we're both blessed with that. Um, true. That is that is awesome that we get to do this. And. Um, it was pretty cool. I saw your live stream um, with um, um, the, from your talk or one of your talks. Yeah. I don't know if the second one. We'll have to put and you got in. to announce something, right? I got to announce um, a new Azure DevOps uh, task, a couple of them. And, nice. uh, and it turned out I didn't realize this. I had totally zoned and I missed a presentation by one of the members of the uh, SSIS team came all the way to Seattle from Shanghai and I wow. totally missed his presentation. So I was going to announce it on Friday, but I think he, um, I, I heard from people who did attend, who didn't zone that he shared on Wednesday with it, which is totally fine. They're, you know, building all this stuff. I think they should be allowed to share it, but the short version is forever in a day. I have wanted to be able to treat SSIS uh, software development, which it is software development. Um, I wanted to treat it like the C-sharp people and the JavaScript people and Node and all of that, where you just check it in and it fires off this automated process that builds, deploys, tests, and all of that. 
Well, you could do that before in Azure DevOps, and you could do it in other tools as well, but um, it wasn't as easy as it is today. I'll say it that way. And with the build and deploy task, uh, we can, um, you know, build natively into an Azure pipeline, an SSIS package, um, or a project, and then we can deploy it. And um, I did really, I kind of cheesed out on the testing, Frank. I, I did, um, I used the Azure PowerShell, uh, Azure DevOps task uh, for that. I kind of wrote manual looking tasks, but I, I really wanted to highlight the build and deploy. So the last demo was I check in some code, it builds it, deploys it to test, executes it, and then it, it checks the results. Both of these were two separate Azure PowerShells. And if it succeeds, then it uh, fires off a build and deploy to my production folder. And then it does a test execution in, uh, in the production folder. So um, it worked perfectly uh, every time I tried it after I got it working until I delivered the talk. And uh, then it blew up on, of all things, there's a checkout step in every Azure pipeline. Mm -hmm. And it, on the very last one, the execute in production, and that's really all it did. It blew up on the checkout step. And I'm like, I've never seen this fail. Thousands of pipelines I've executed. So I get back home a couple of days later, run it. Of course, it succeeds. Yeah. But um, by then, <laughs> you know, it had been deployed to test, tested, deployed to production. That was kind of the point. I was just executing it over there to, you know, to kind of put the icing, maybe the cherry on the icing on the cake. Ooh, I like that. But it was cool. It was, it, and it's a really neat piece of work. And, you know, it's um, it's cool to see this kind of functionality now coming to SSIS. I think it's overdue, but I'm biased. Um, but I, I well, I mean, uh, you certainly are biased because I think it was the first or second meeting of the C Richmond SQL Server user group. You presented it. And oh, I remember yeah. you called about, it's basically test-driven database development or something like that. Okay, and, yeah, I was working on a book back yeah, then. I remember that. And yeah. I remember, um, you know, you and I both started that group, and I remember, like, looking at the title, I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> and, and this was in 2006. This would have been 2006. So, and so, so testing, yeah, testing was kind of, like, pretty avant-garde at the time, but testing on a database was, like, unheard of. It sounded... You know, and I remember, like, uh, I'll be honest, like, for the first 15 minutes, I just thought you were, like, a little crazy. And then, like, something clicked in my head, like, yeah, you know. <laughs> and you realize, you realize Andy is crazy. No, no, no. I just remember you were, like, you know, the first test we're going to write is, you know, does the database exist? And I'm, like, mm. and then, right. you know, you run the test, doesn't exist. Okay, that fails. And then the second one is, does this table exist? It was this, like, like, what? And then, like. You know, just like testing in general doesn't really click yeah. right away because yeah. it kind of seems redundant, but it's not. It's a it's an insurance policy yeah. against um, chaos, so to speak. Yeah, and you know we, you know, it, it's there's there's a lot to that thinking because a lot, a lot of the test tools I would I would venture to say maybe most or all of the testing tools that have been built to automate test and deployment and and lifecycle management. We're all built for these very stateless, um, you know, very stateless uh, code uh, sources and things like C Sharp and, you know, like I said, JavaScript, Node, um, a lot of web type stuff, which is obviously it's been a, it's been a developer story, not necessarily a database developer story. It has, 
Right. And, it, you know, and here we are trying to shove something into this, shoehorn it. And it's, you know, it's databases are the definition of state. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, so it's like there's a whole bunch of other stuff you have to do. And then when you think about it in the context of lifecycle management, um, you know, it, it comes back around. So let's look at the other side. Right. When we do a right. rollback, we find something's not gone like we want it. So we decide to roll everything back. Well, that's great for JavaScript and Node and C Sharp. But let's say the database change that went along with that added a column. And, you know, so and you think, well, whatever. And, and but here's where it starts to get squirrely. It, maybe it's been out there for a day or a week and that column has data yeah. in it. What do we do with that? Do we drop that column and throw that data away? What what if what if it's GDPR relevant or something yeah. like that? Then it gets real touchy. Um, so it's, it's complex. I'll yeah. give it that. Yeah. No, I just really like that. thinking that and like, um, I mean, you'll, you'll like this. I think I told you a story is that I was on a, actually it's happened sadly on more than one project was, um, there were serious discussions with the leadership on the team that should we check in stored procedure code? Although it probably is not the first ah, time you've heard, okay. like, you know. You know, or it's just like, you know, I there were two, there were two kind of audience, two kind of thoughts on this. Like, you know, of course, why not? Or like, why would you? Cause it's the database and kind of right. dot, 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 dot. It never goes down. And everybody looked at each other and started laughing. Well, everybody yeah. on one side of the table. I, I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, but that thinking is kind of born in right. the way we did databases for decades. And, you know, they, it was considered a system of record, especially the online transaction processing or OLTP database, um, especially, especially the OLTP database in production. And it was assumed that, you know, there were backups being made, that there was the, um, we didn't, we didn't call it high availability and disaster recovery back in the day, but that's essentially what it was. And, then the database and the data right. in it became the system of record. Um, and that gets tricky when you don't test your restores and you learn that the database backup job has been succeeding maybe for the last six months, but it's actually been either corrupt or it hasn't been finishing or some other snafu and you've got unrestorable backups. So, the, the key here, and I see this logic all the time. Of course, I hang out with data geeks on social media. And, you know, they, the way we think is you don't really have a backup <laughs> until you've tested the restore. So you've restored it. And right. then you've, like, done a compare, you know, to see, does it match what you backed up? And, of course, in a database that's highly transactional and running a million miles an hour, that's a hard call. Um, you know, but but it's possible, and we need to find... Um, you know, we do, we just need to find ways to do that. They, the last thing you want is that scenario I described earlier where you, you know, something bad happens and now it's time to restore from a backup. And then, then you learn, you know, usually at 4 a.m. on a weekend morning that your backups have not been doing what you thought they were doing all this time. So a lot, there's just a lot to lifecycle management, period. I, I fell in love with test-driven development, Frank. I was doing it in VB6. I'm dating myself, but back before .NET, I was an MCSD and 
you know, a slinging code. And I read Kent Beck's book and he was all about, it was either Java or JavaScript. I forget what his examples were in, but I got it. And probably Java. No one took JavaScript seriously prior to like the mid 2000s. Probably. And this was in the late 19s, uh, 1990s. So, but you know, it really appealed to me as, you know, my engineering background. Um, I'm, you know, I have a, a degree in electronics uh, engineering technology, and we test all the time. I mean, you just have to. You don't know that you're you're finished until you pass a test. Right. And so, and back then, the first exposure to it, it was fail first testing, and I thought this is awesome because I've been doing this since I started writing code. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Always fail. Nice. So I I was never a believe I was uh, I, I I was a late believer in um in in test driven development, and it came to me when um I was working on a project and uh, <laughs> not going to name any names but this was one of the worst projects I've ever been on. Oh, I'm sorry. Um and um that's nah, okay. We, we live and learn. <laughs> uh, but anyway, um there were active there for political reasons inside the company there were active people trying to make this the .net version of the project fail and reboot oh. it with java right oh, so wow. i wrote i wrote just you know to humor somebody i wrote a bunch of tests on this one like function and and, and stuff like that just for fun and the one guy who was always trying to make the project look bad he could not break my code <laughs> and i wasn't nervous at all because i i i I didn't intentionally write the test like this, but I just thought of any way I could break it right. and test it on it. And um, like he could not break it. Like it was just like that totally ruined his the code review for him because he was like, you know, and I, I, I was able to sit there very confident, you know. Sure. Uh, in that. So and you know, that was the moment I believed in test-driven development. I'll tell you, Frank, you hit the magic word, confidence. And and I mentioned this in my talk and a lot of people posted about it and pinged me about it. They said, that is a very good thing to say because that's really what it's about. At the end of the day, you've written some code or maybe you've added code to a project already or expanded functionality and features. It's confidence. You want to know that when this code gets deployed, it's going to, first, it's not going to fail. Or if you're doing you know, testing the way you should be doing, you should also be testing failures. You should be injecting them so that when it fails, you know how it fails. And right. you, know, you compensate for that. that. It's graceful failure. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, but that's it. At the end of the day, you know, and, and what happens is over time, you know, something will get through the cracks. It's going to happen. I'm not telling you it could, it's going to. And when some bad code gets into production, you're going to have something that fails. Well, you you deal with that. Put that fire out, get it going, maybe do a rollback if you need to. But what you've got there is some data that now you can write another test around. And that becomes a part of your regression test suite. And and you just keep adding to that over time. And your confidence should, over time, grow. And, you know, it's all set-based theories and rainbows after that, you know? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, speaking of, uh, uh, of, of failure and glitches, um, our podcasting hoster, who's, who's always been awesome. And all of a sudden, a lot of our shows kind of like disappeared from the website. Yeah, that was scary. And, um, <laughs> I had learned my lesson from the buckle with, uh, franksworld.com when ClearDB right. nuked 13 years of, um, <laughs> of posts. 
that still makes me cringe every time you mention that. I, 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 you know, it kind of, I, I've, I've kind of turned it around. I did some, you know, Bruce Lee, Tai Chi. I know these are not the right words, but I did some kind of like, right. you know, turn the energy around on it. Right. And, you know, I, I'll get to that in a second. But um, when you had said like what, you know, we were messaging back and forth and I was like, mm-hmm. this, I learned my lesson last time. We have backups on multiple, just as part of the process. Which some yes. of it, I like to say all of it was intentional. Some of it was, and actually a lot of it was intentional, but most of it was accidental. Yeah. Because I realized all the right. backups we had of the audio and, and, and stuff like that, it's it's um, between Gmail, between G Drive, um, OneDrive, and Dropbox, we have a lot yeah. of redundancies, which I've always kind of That's true. pondered, like, should I should I pare that down? And then this happened, and I was like, <laughs> if you not, uh, in fact, it was only one one bit of data that I realized we weren't really backing up, and it was the text, the the show notes, and stuff like that. That's right, which is an interesting again. I think testing failure, um, yeah, uh, is a good thing. Like, oh yeah, we probably should do something about that. <laughs> I did. I did want to share with you mm-hmm. that I didn't think about this when we were in the thick of mm-hmm. it, but most of the show notes are actually stored on my drive here. Oh, all right then. I do. So we do have backups of most of them, but kind of, you know, it's kind of like the audio, not everything, but I create a new file every time I've got a little template that I start with. Oh, okay. And it has like, a, you know, I do it all in HTML in notepad. I know mock me. It's fine. Fine. But it works. And I, I miss very little by doing it that way. Um, so, and it's very simple. You've, if you've gone to our show notes and if you don't, you'll see them right beneath this recording. Um, there'll be some notes in there with some links and some text in there. Um, that's it. I put the time in and, you know, all of those, there's maybe 40 lines in there to start out with a timestamp of zero, zero, colon, zero, zero. Um, every now and then a show goes beyond an hour. So it's not hard to type one colon in front of um, And it's, you know, it's a target. Um, I, I send it, I target it to a blank, which is a new tab. And that way you can keep listening and click on the links. And, and visit, you know, something. Maybe you hear something it's like, oh, I want to go there right now. Well, you can keep listening to the show, pop over to a link and check it out. So we actually do have, I don't know how many, but we've got, I, I would venture more than half of them um, and maybe even more than three quarters of cool. the show. Notes. I know audio wise, we're, we're good because part of the automated process yeah. is that stuff gets copied. If it's, if it's, if yeah. it's one of these, it's, it automatically goes into Dropbox. Uh, where yep. we're, in the studio if it's a facebook live it's facebook stores that plus you know the other places where i have my pipeline go through so yeah. audio i think we're at oh, yeah. i'm fairly confident we're at 95 percent and up um okay. but uh text is good to know because that was like oh yeah. like huh so the short of it is yep. that there's a happy ending to this story is that uh podcast websites is an infinitely better uh service provider than uh clear tv <laughs> so they had everything Absolutely. by the time like I, I think i messaged you a three-step plan which you know because of language uh <laughs> yeah we won't share all of the words you can't, said can't share uh can't share all of those steps but um uh but <laughs> the first one was just let's calm down and be patient let's see what they do with us Right. Don't panic. Don't panic. I remember yeah. that. We, and um, we kind of went through that. And then, and then we got a little levity going. I remember sharing, do we have our towels um, after don't panic? I, I'm going to be embarrassed um, to say this. I don't get the reference. 
You didn't get the towels, Joe. I'm not. Frank. I'm hurt. I'm sorry. Uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I should have gotten it with you. Uh, don't panic. Don't yeah, panic. yeah, 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 yeah. Right. I, for some reason, sorry. I had binge watched a couple episodes of South Park, and I thought you were making a <laughs> Towley reference, and I'm like, uh. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Uh, I don't watch that show. I've watched a few episodes of it, and I've laughed a little. And, I'm, and Frank, I, I'm just, I don't have enough time to watch TV anymore. Seriously, I don't either. I mean, like, um, aside from that. Um, only thing I really watched recently was The Expanse. Oh, and that's well oh, worth it. it. I watched oh, and the boys. We recorded that. And the boys watched it. Yeah, and there's new. Um, there's a new Expanse coming out, right? Sci-Fi's been shooting it. I've been seeing tweets and well, stuff. Not Sci-Fi. It's uh. Jeff, oh, well, that's right. Amazon. Bezos. Sorry, it went to Amazon. Yeah, Jeff Bezos. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, picked it up. Thank God. So. Which is outstanding. I mean, I, I love all the streaming services that are out there. Um, I, I love the content that they're all creating. I think, um, you know, I think the major studios and kind of the, the old guard got caught off guard, um, you know, by this. And that's happened in so many industries now. It's, it's not even news when it happens. Right. It's assumed, you know. Yeah. And uh, Disney Plus just launched this week, too. So, I mean, I, I, don't, okay. I don't have that okay. because, like, I'm like, like you, I don't have a lot of time to watch. Stuff. Yeah, it's like, I'm. I'm the same way. You, you know, you turned me on to Curiosity Stream. Yes, I do um, have that. Uh, over a year mm-hmm. ago, I, I my coming up to get renewed. They're offering a thing uh, where you can pay about half. It's a little more, I think, than half as much. And about uh, the and you you have to watch a thirty second commercial. Oh, that's not bad. No, I think it's a it's it's a legitimate choice at this point. My you know me, Frank. I'm an engineer, right? So I'm paranoid. Uh, so I'm like, what comes right, next? Right, right, right. <laughs> well, I'm thinking to what's the second, third step? Curiosity Stream is pretty awesome. We should see about an affiliate program with them. But um, there's actually a bunch of it, and they put a lot on. There's a lot of good data uh, stuff on there. I think the joy of data is a good one. Uh, the joy of winning is a good one. Where it's basically about game theory, essentially. And yeah, and they put a bunch of new stuff out there. And you know what? I forgot we had it, and I hadn't watched it in you know in forever. But I want the kids to right. watch it. That's you know that's really what I'm after. And they were advertising it, and one of them looked at me and said, "We should get that." And I'm like, "I think <laughs> we <have> that. <laughs> that's funny." And, and we do. So I'm gonna. I, I sent the password out to the to the, the junior juniors. engineers, and um, we'll um, see what they do with it. That's yes. cool the um that uh it's it's uh, it's an interesting world where you can um watch what you want to watch you know um you know whether it's the science focused ones i also have uh, the great courses uh plus uh streaming too okay so i'll i'll try to work you know when, nice. I, when I do work out i'll try to like watch something there and, and stuff like that very good speaking uh-huh. speaking of working out You've done really Thank well. You very much. I'm proud I just, of you. Uh, Cross the thirty pounds loss. And um, congratulations! Hopefully, by the time you hear this, I will have recorded a data point talking about uh, one of the tools um, that um, that uh, that my doctor gave me was basically it's a continuous glucose monitor, and um, very IoT edge, right? It is very IoT. It's very cutting edge because it's IoT. Not only is it IoT, but it's healthcare That's IoT. Cool. Um, so there's there's definitely an interesting thing there. What I like about it, and hopefully I 
I haven't recorded the data point yet, full disclosure. <laughs> so uh, hopefully I will have mentioned uh, that um, the um, the cool thing about it is, is that I've been doing keto for maybe like a year and a half. Yeah. And I lost yep. some weight. I lost some weight. You did, did too. I gained um, some back. I'm I'm not doing as well as you. Uh, are. Well, I kept I kept losing, gaining, losing, gaining. And losing I'm gaining. in there. Like, I'm so, there now. Yeah. So finally, my wife got into keto as well. So she researched that there's a guy named Dr. Tro, who's based in Rockland County, cool. New York. He has a podcast too. Oh neat. Um, I think it's the Low Carb MD podcast, Ooh. and he um he we went to him right because you can go to him and like he can be your primary care that's doctor. awesome and they do they do a whole workup on you and stuff like that but they give you this con continuous glucose monitor and basically it's nfc so you just swipe your phone you get your blood sugar in real time that's pretty cool not not only that you, you it takes an automated recording every five minutes oh man data so <laughs> it's oh, exactly here's the cool thing like um the portal uh, um the, you get access to a portal where you can actually see reports like the app on the phone has it too oh man like you can see the reports and like um the um the cool thing is that you can actually get the raw data wow from the sensors and um a teammate of mine, he he also uh, has diabetes. He, yeah. he I I don't have diabetes. One of the one of the good things I've learned is I don't like yeah. even though yeah. it runs kind of runs in my family. And my dad was my age when he got diagnosed. Mm. So the one thing I've learned is that you know I don't. Right, <laughs> that's good. So, uh, but one of the one of Doctor Tro's things. Well, one I found out that you know fried foods are bad, right yeah. for keto, which I know it's kind of obvious in retrospect, but it was one of those things where it was kind of like Schrodinger's fried chicken or fried mozzarella sticks. Right. Well, it's the breading, it, 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 right? It's, I mean, that's it's the breading. Yeah. It's the breading, but I thought, oh, that's not enough. Well, apparently it is. Yeah. And um, uh, the, the oil that they put it in also messes with your blood sugar. See, that's interesting. And, and you've been able to eat something and I don't mean to be, you know, I don't get all down yeah. in your stuff, but you could eat something and then scan and see what your blood sugar did. Exactly. So here's the thing. This is basically kind of like, you know, go listen to his podcast to get the full skinny. Right. But oh, see what I did there. Ah, um, I get it. Where's uh, that sound effect, Frank? We need the sound effect. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> um, so, so basically the whole idea is that when you get, you get into ketosis and what that really has to become and don't do this kids at home. Yeah. You know, without yeah. Dr. Met, I am actually under medical supervision. So yeah, <laughs> me too. Um, but basically, um, basically what they want to monitor your sugar, one to see if you're diabetic or pre-diabetic right. or insulin resistant. And then if you can start managing your blood sugar spikes to not have spikes to kind of flatten out the curve, right. you can then do intermittent fasting. Yep. which is it sounds absolutely crazy so if you think i'm absolutely crazy that's fine you wouldn't be the first person on the planet <laughs> right well see now I am, i've been diagnosed as type 2 diabetic and mm -hmm. um i have a, a friend who's a doctor a gentleman i went to church with and we talked mm -hmm. through could we do intermittent fasting with this now to spare everybody all the gory details the short answer was yes 
but I didn't have a continuous monitor like you have, Frank. So I had to run several tests um, during a day instead of just like one. And that's right. how I we had to do the same sort of thing. You want to look at the line. And although right. mine was not flat because I'm type 2 diabetic, um, it, it we were able to pick the right kind of intermittent fasting that would fit me and help me out. Yes. And occasionally you can stretch it. You can play. And as long as you realize the kind of the warning signs of a sugar crash, um, which right. is a, a real thing if you're, you know, if you're diabetic or type, you know, type one or type two. Um, but as long as you kind of feel those coming on and you've got stuff with you to take, that will help you. And this is going to sound bad, but sometimes the answer is like half a Snickers, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'll get you well, actually spiral, so. The yeah. flatter your um, the flatter your sugar curves, the easier intermittent fasting is. <laughs> so, like somebody at work was the same guy at work. He's like, oh, I should try. My doctor said try intermittent fasting, and then he he got the same scanner I did after I talked it up. Cool. Um, I'm like, I was like, dude, with those sugar curves, you, yeah, you can do it, but you are not going to enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you because know, the, go ahead, okay. Frank. No, go ahead. Well, I, what I learned was you're right. The first few were traumatic and really they only lasted a, a handful of hours. But right. just like everything else, the more you exercise it, your body adjusts. It's amazing the way the yeah. human body adjusts to this stuff. And yeah, I was stretching it out, um, you know, at, at the time. And I, I travel a lot. And when I travel, it's hard to do it um, because I'm often called on to, I'm doing the air quotes, perform. Whenever I'm doing any kind of presentation, that's what it feels like to me. And to me, well, not even that, like if you're flying like across country. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, you yeah. know, the airplane peanuts aren't going to cut it. Obviously, the crack, you know, like and, and, right. and actually the first time this is funny. So the first time I personally did an extended fast, I think I ended up doing 24 hours was when I flew to Vegas for uh, a Microsoft conference last summer. Oh, wow. And I was in Detroit and. Uh, the Detroit airport and like I was hungry, but I was trying to do keto. Yeah. And I saw, I saw some, some, some nuts there. And I was like, well, that's, that's the closest thing I was able to get. Right. Um, and then I was like, I saw that they were like $8 for like the bag. And I'm like, <laughs> I know I'm, I know I can expense this, but just in principle, I refuse to spend eight <laughs> bleepity blank dollars <laughs> on a bag of nuts. Like that's just obscene. That's and uh, so then I then I got on my flight, and then by the time I got to Vegas, I realized, crap, I haven't eaten in like twenty hours. Right. Like, how much further can I take this? And then just right. the logistics of getting from point A to point A B in Vegas. Like, um, I was in front of like some slider burgers, yeah, at the twenty four hour mark, and I'm like, I get like five or six of these and take the bread. <laughs> right. <laughs> That'll work. That'll work. That bread is a. Uh... That bread is a killer. It is. Um, yeah. Um, but not to, not to deviate too far down the keto path. Uh, no, but, no. Um, uh, it's just interesting because what's great about this continuous glucose monitor is it adds a certain amount of – the one thing about weight loss in general is that there is no in, instantaneous feedback. Right. And that's hard for – it's hard for me because instant feedback is – I mean, I like it. Our culture – everything in our world now is kind of instantaneous gratification or feedback. Sure. At this, right? So this lets me look like right away, like, oh, look what I ate and look what it did to my blood sugar. Right, right. You know, and it's not so much the going up on the blood sugar that that's the, well, 
you don't notice, you don't mind that as much, but it's the coming down. Yeah. <laughs> that is pretty yeah. rough. And, um, and then basically what my doctor tells me is that, you know, if you get a spike, you know, if you, if you spike and then it comes back down, right. your brain is kind of set up to, okay, time to get more food. Mm. So for me, the cravings for anything, once I've gotten that kind of flat lined, it's not flat, but I mean, it's flatter. Yeah. I don't, I don't crave that as much. Like at this point, as we record this, I am, uh, 18 hours into a fast. Wow. Frank. And six of those hours were kind of accidental. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like so you just forget you, to eat. Like it's, I just it's wanna, right, right. I, and I didn't mean to cut you off, but I want to throw out the disclaimer here. Neither Frank nor I are trained medical people. No, we said this earlier, do this under medical supervision. Go, you know, go get yourself tested and, yeah. um, you know, get the blood work up. Um, there's a lot of books out there about weight loss and nutritional eating. And they, a lot of them mentioned, you know, going and doing the full blood workup and different things to look for that aren't standard testing, get those things done for goodness sakes, talk to a doctor and, and, you know, don't just do this willy nilly based on it. Oh, I heard Frank and Andy talking about it and it was great. Right. Um, and the books that we've read all say the same thing. And that's exactly what I just shared with you. And uh, Frank and I are following that advice, and we encourage you, if you're interested in this, to go talk to your doctor. Yes, and I am not a doctor. Uh, yes, if I were, I wouldn't be driving a Honda. <laughs> I don't know. I like my Honda. I've got an Odyssey, an old Odyssey van, and that's like my truck now, Frank. Yeah, <laughs> I, I would probably upgrade to an Acura. I don't know. Well, there you go. Okay, I could but see. But anyway. The, but so, one thing so, I want to share, you know, one flavor of intermittent fasting is the one that I've had the most um, most success with recently. And again, it's there's a there's a lot to this, and part of it's psychological, a lot of it's psychosomatic, and you kind of have to figure out you. And and having that monitor, that feed, I don't have a continuous glucose monitor. I want one, and, and I may uh, try and get me one. But the w absent that. The uh, thing that seems to work for me is doing the hours, right? I'll, I won't eat breakfast until maybe 10, 30, 11, uh, you know, in a.m. And then I will have uh, dinner, you know, maybe eight hours later, uh, lunch in the middle, maybe, maybe not. Um, maybe a couple of snacks that's, uh, I don't know, a dozen almonds and a stick of cheese or something like that. That it you know again the first day or so is like you're doing the balancing act and i know if i had a continuous monitor it'd be all spiky because i can feel it right but well it's but always it's just nice it's a it adds a data-driven um aspect of something that has not been data-driven in a sense where i you, see what you did there. yeah there you go yeah, clever awesome. right <laughs> uh, um, I'm really hitting I'm going to wear out that button today. Um, but people are going to be listening to this thinking like, oh my, maybe, maybe it's better when you, when you all do the data points, like <laughs> maybe it's better. <laughs> um, but no, I, I mean, it's just, it's, you know, one of the things I did actually is I took my raw data. I scrubbed out the PII, uh, for myself and, yeah. um, and, um, I fed it through the Azure ML type automated toolings. No um, way. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I, weird. <laughs> uh, part of it is, is that um, it, it didn't, I did a predictive time series test and it kind of, uh, I mean, it worked. It came up with something, but yeah. 
uh, I realized like I had I, I I was so excited like I I I downloaded the CSV because you get the CSV from it, and um, um, I first first swipe it failed because the data wasn't clean enough. I was like, oh. so I went back, I had to go back, and I forgot. Oh yeah, eighty percent of this work is, you know, cleansing. Data cleansing. Data and, cleansing. Um, so long story short, it did do a prediction, a predictive window. But I mean, with with blood sugar, it's not quite the same as say automobile maintenance like you know like yeah i could theoretically grab a snickers bar from upstairs and snickers not sponsoring this episode it's <laughs> um, but, but um, they're candy bars we'll say that right it's just whatever <laughs> and um and then i could spike that so i could so that actually brings me up in, a, in a, another philosophical thing which um i would love to uh, to ponder on one day would be like if you have time series predictors what yeah. happens when you are aware that the prediction says X and you intentionally do Y? Mm. And this came up because we're somewhere I was, we were talking about predictive policing and mm. basically okay. saying a, a crime is supposed to happen at this intersection, you know, or high probability. At some point, all right, there's all slew of ethics and questions related around predictive policing. Let's right. put that on the shelf for now. <laughs> <laughs> um, not saying they're not important, but that's not relevant to this philosophical point here, is right. that at some point, will the criminals be on to the fact and alter their behavior? Oh, wow. Right? Frank, that's pretty deep. Well, it gets kind of like yeah. the, the, the is it it's hiding? No, hiding? No, uh, Schrodinger, right? Like you, you kind of look at, if you observe something, you, you kind of change it, right? Or if you measure it. You change right, it, right, right, because I, I don't know, like, w would that happen? You know, because eventually somebody's going to try to steal a car, and the police are there, right, predicting it. Are they going to, you know, are, is are the criminals going to adapt and overcome? Historically, I would say they will, based on kind of, oh yeah, you know, I would think so. It's yeah. cat and mouse type thing. Uh, right. I don't know, just a deep thing. Like, well, then what what comes beyond predictive policing? Because you you alter the model. I guess the, the cool you know, kids. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go. No, the cool kids call that model draft. Right, right. Yeah, right. So, uh, some of uh, Gladwell's latest book, "Talking to Strangers," he uh, he covers some of that. Some some um, they applied some analytics to uh, crime statistics, and you know, and and it proved wildly successful in uh you know in altering some policing tactics i don't want to spoil the book for you but they did have some like really really good success in some neighborhoods and one of the statistics that if i remember correctly it was like north of 90 percent of of the crime was happening in like three blocks uh oh i lost you andy no i, I muted because i'm coughing oh, i was like oh no <laughs> Yeah, the past summit, I picked up the nerd head cold. Ugh. So another interesting data point, landing twice with a head cold is absolutely no fun. No. Just, just to say. But um, they were wildly successful um, with the, you know, applying these statistics. And they would, you know, they found out, like I said, over 90% of the crime was happening in like a three square block area or something. So, and it was only happening at night. So they focus there. They do a lot of things differently than typical policing. And, you know, they, they eradicate a bunch of crime. 
Um, the problem that uh, that Gladwell covers in this book, and he kind of starts with this one use case and he ends with it, is that what happens if you apply the same techniques in a lower crime area? Interesting. And, and what if some of the variables or metrics are different enough, you know, different enough? And we all know the answer to that because we've worked with data. Um, you know, it doesn't take it, it, the right kind of outlier uh, left in the pool can drastically impact the result. It's and and that's what this is essentially. Is he's doing that now? He he violated one of Andy's rules of statistics, which says you can and it's Andy's first rule of statistics. You can use statistics about um, anything to do with people except people. I know that sounds stupid, and I can go into it later, but it's no, but, but it's it, a good, it really good ethical rule too. Like it, you know, and it, and really, it's about the you know applying something to an individual versus applying to a group. Right. That's that's what I mean. You can't. I should say not people, person. You can't apply it to a right. person. But yes, and it, it turns out that um, a lot of the mistakes I've seen, um, and, and you know, with just data in general, very innocuous data that nobody got hurt, have been because we've. You know, we've read from a population and then tried to specifically apply it to a use case. Population statistics don't work that way. It's it's like entropy. Right. <laughs> it, it will not ever work. Um, so you may get lucky and it works once, but, you know, and it, it can be very skewing. So but, yeah, he, he talked about that um, an awful lot in the book about the ethics uh, piece of that. And. You and I have also had a conversation. I'm I'm almost positive we talked about it in 2019 on a data point like this, where we said what happens when the bad guys begin uh, employing AI, and uh, we were thinking mostly about hackers. That was when we had Milena uh, um, Rodband yes. on the show. Yes, who was the risk polit geopolitical risk consultant? Uh, oh, it's an awesome show. Go back and that, listen to that, and she's doing a lot of other interesting she, stuff too. She's amazing. Uh, yeah. Follow her on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, for real, for real. She's she's she she's up to some interesting stuff lately, and yeah, uh, I think I saw that. I uh, if I recall, she was attending a lecture at Georgetown for something, and then um, basically the the professor was basically came to the same conclusions that she's going to publish in her paper. Oh wow! This was yesterday. She she said tonight. So wow. you know, I don't know. It, it, Check her out on Twitter. Her stuff's always interesting. Yeah. Yep. And and you know that's maybe not before you go to sleep though, because it is geopolitical <laughs> risk stuff. So you may want. <laughs> well, there's nothing else political <laughs> happening in the world right now, Frank. I... Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, but um, but I'm glad you mentioned that book because I I've seen it in my Audible feed, and if you're not hooked on audiobooks, uh, yeah, I highly recommend getting an Audible subscription. Yep. Audible is a sponsor of the show, so uh, if you go to thedatadrivenbook.com, or if you prefer to pronounce it thedatadrivenbook.com, we'll we'll accept either. Uh, we'll accept either pronunciation, um, or I because do. one of us apparently has an accent and the other one doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, the uh, the cool thing is you get a free book, and if you sign up for a subscription, and it's pretty cheap. I mean, it's not. Uh, not that expensive. Uh, we'll get like a like a little like you know little ting goes in our little tin cup. Yep. And it helps support the show, and it helps you know support your uh, growth uh, as an individual, which is pretty awesome. I I 
I've binge audiobooks. Yeah. Like I'm I'm I've met book number forty five and I'm middle of book forty five for the year. Wow. Um now to like be fair, Frank, Frank, to be fair, what? we have to tell people that you got me doing this. So today is really the fifteenth day of our new year. Yes. So yes. Fifteenth so of November twenty nineteen. Yeah. Right. So um so basically I twenty sixteen was a horrible personal and professional year for me. <laughs> It was like a country music song, you know, like the, the, the <laughs> you know, um, but you know, the cat died. I got a concussion. It was just crazy. And I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to end this year, like on November 1st. And we talked about this last year, yeah. actually, too. Yep, and, we did. Uh, a similar thing, which I think the universe uh, took it as a sign of, all right, hotshot, let's see how you, what you got. <laughs> because like right after that, I had the car accident and like, yeah. you know, my wife was hospitalized, which is why the, uh, we both had deaths in the family. Yeah, um, it was tough um, here. It was. Uh, it was. I like to think of it as stress testing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it was a tough year. So if you're wondering, like, what happened to the regular cadence? Well, you know, um, you know, we 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 if we can't be in the studio, we try to bring the studio with us and bring you along with some of the interesting places we go. Yeah. Um, because some of the, the speaker, some of the stuff we're privileged to get to is, and, and, and breathe in a little bit of that rarefied air. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, it, we, we enjoy sharing that with you because, uh, not everyone can travel to pass or, right. um, you know, and, and, and don't feel bad if, if, if your paper was rejected to pass multiple years in a row, you are at least in good company. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yours truly uh, uh, himself. So, um, so just it's just really cool, and it, you were able to kind of share that experience with us. In fact, I'm going on a secret mission next week. Dun dun. dun. See dramatic music. <laughs> now that's more sad. That. How about this? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going on a a. a um, I say it's secret. It's it, it. The content, the the agenda says, you know, nothing here can be shared outside the company. I'm attending what the the machine learning and data science conference in uh, Redmond. Nice. Right at the mothership. Uh, it's for internal uh, employees only. And um, basically, this was the conference I went to in 2016 that I had my my Blues Brothers moment, where like I have seen the light. <laughs> and, uh, you know, had had really, you know had me going down a data science path, you know, pretty hard and pretty fast Yep. because it was just, it was clear that this is the, this was the future. Now saying that in 2019, it's like, well, okay, Captain Obvious, but in <laughs> 2016, um, I don't think it was quite so clear cut. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, um, you know, I dropped all my, I, I donated all my XAML books to Goodwill and, <laughs> <laughs> and uh that's about as polite a way i can say it um and um you know got hard got into the data space you know and and you know um you know more the the, the advanced analytics stuff and um you know that's when i discovered I, I i was reacquainted with math right because my middle school and high school experience and certainly the college experience with math was not fun right right but when I kind of explored statistics again, 
And I was like, you know, if I had known this 20 years ago, right? like, oh, crap, I was shown it 20 years ago, but it didn't click. Well, too, so. it was context, too, Frank. And you meant, you know, not fun is, I think, a very nice way to describe the way of math is taught to a lot of uh, young people these days. And I was very fortunate, even though I went to a community college, um, the calculus professor and the physics professor worked together. And nice. and they recommended, the uh, the guidance people knew this, they recommended take these two courses together. And what it was, we were learning the math on Tuesday night. You know, I was going to night school. We learned on Tuesday night. And then on Thursday night, we were doing an experiment where we needed to use the equations that we'd learned two days earlier. Nice. And teach math in a vacuum, that's just, it's horrible. It's It's a memory test. Well, you know what it is. If you teach math in a vacuum like that, you are only going to find a certain subset of the population that digs it and gets it. Right, right. And if you That's look around at our population, who are the people succeeding in math? Exactly those types of people. Sure. Right? Math is more accessible than I think people realize. Yeah, um, I agree. And uh, it's just it's just interesting to see how that is. Fortunately, and the youngin, cool. my youngin is is um. See, I'm I. I this month, I think, marks 15 years I've lived south of the Mason-Dixon. And you said uh, youngin. And I said youngin. So you've been a good influence. My work here is done. My work here is done. And I said y'all before, too. I don't know if you caught that. But, like, it, it's taken me 15 years to be comfortable to say you all instead of you you guys. There you or go. Yuz, or yuz, you, you guys. You um, Yens. Um, yen, no, that's a Pittsburgh thing. That's, that's Pittsburgh. Me. I learned yeah, that yeah, in yeah. Pittsburgh last month. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So um, it was, uh, I don't know where we're going. This is, I guess, part math of the Math and, and one of your youngins. Yes, one of my youngins. Uh, he, he's really good at math. And, like, he's, awesome. he's also good at reading, too. So, like, he, he, he reads more books than I do, which is awesome. Wow. <laughs> and, like, um, you know, there's actually a book. I'm on the fence. I'm listening to the audiobook now. Um, I'm on the fence about getting it to for him because it may be a little too old for him, but mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's called the man who beat the market. Okay. Um, it's a, it's a story of basically uh, the guy who made quants, the man who solved the market. That's the exact title. Interesting. Um, okay. Uh, by Gregory Zuckerman. And it's about the hedge fund. Now he's a billionaire. I think he's worth more than Musk, right. less than Buffett, less than Bezos and Gates, but, um, right. Uh, I guess if you have to come in third on a list, that's not so shabby. Um, not too bad, yeah. Uh, he um, he's he was originally an academic in mathematics, and he 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 kept pondering like, uh, how do you make money with math? How do you make money with math? And his whole life, people told him, "You're not going to make money with math. You should be right. a doctor, right?" Like there, there's a whole thing in there, like where he fought with his parents about that, and like. They had doctor friends, like the family saying, you need to be a doctor. And so anyway, yeah. so, so so long story short is it's a pretty interesting analysis of how this guy who was an academic created uh, financial models uh, to do this. Now, again, in, with 2019 uh, eyes and ears, that sounds like yeah. uh, Captain Obvious. But this guy was right. doing this in the early, late 80s, early 90s. Wow. And... Uh, Right now, it's like a it's like a biography of him of sorts, and um, yeah. I'm in the early 70s now, where he was. At, he went to Berkeley, he taught at MIT, taught at Harvard, taught at you know. Uh, it was interesting. It's interesting to see how that yeah. goes, and um, uh, but yeah, I, I, I'm I'm digging that book so far.
Nice. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, yeah. I think I screenshotted you. I'm like, oh my God, this is awesome. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, see, that's you do this to me, and I don't listen um, as much as you do because the Farmville traffic is nothing compared to Northern Virginia, Southern Maryland. Sure. So you get you get more time, and that's cheating, Frank. I'm just want to put that out there. Um, <laughs> I know you not. Not enjoy it. <laughs> it's not. I'm, I'm glad you're able to enjoy it because my good, I know how frustrating it can be. Yeah. But um. But that's, I, you know, I'm still, I, I try and catch up and I will listen to like the first couple chapters of some of them that you sent me and go, nah, not for me right now. Mm-hmm. But I do, I get almost all of the same books that uh, that you download. And um, it's a fascinating, maybe we should uh, share more. I think we have actually, as we've done the show. We I share had, like what we're listening to now. I had a crazy idea. What's a crazy idea, Frank? Let's hear it. Well, the one that I think is most relevant here. I have many crazy ideas. Uh, but but like a data-driven book club Ooh, because there's a lot of books out there audio books yeah. especially that talk about data you know there there's the what was the other one about unicorns among us unicorns among us yep, yep. Uh, Lars Nielsen. yep. Um, malcolm gladwell and outliers whoa yeah that's we, a great book. that i mean that was like you know and it explains things phenomena that we see uh and it's like, well, they're outliers. Well, why are they outliers? Well, you know, yeah. to specific things about like why that is. And it's like, and that has the unintended consequence of that. Oh, that was pretty good. And then uh, this one I'm reading now, um, trying to look at my phone because I listen to so much. I kind of forget what I listen to. Yeah. So, but fortunately the app has pretty good uh, data. It on has it. a good memory. Yes. It, it actually has really good um, analytics on it too. It tells you how many days you've listened. And how oh, many- that's neat. Okay. The Age of Living Machines. That was a fascinating one. Yeah. By Susan Hockfield. Uh, basically, it's kind of biotechnology and how studying it, – it actually gets into the whole thing cross-disciplinary Interesting. Um, uh, stuff where people – I'm not going to do her it justice, uh, but <laughs> the short of it is is that because we teach these subjects in silos – there's a lot of cross-pollination ideas that just never happen. So right. one of the things MIT has is, um, and she gets into it because she, she is or was president of MIT. Um, and, and one of the things they intentionally do is they have kind of, you have your home department, then you can be like a, get, a part of a guest department. So the, the biology mm-hmm. people can hang out with the chemistry people and the chemistry people can hang out with the, um, you know, the computer science people and that sort of thing. Right. And that's a great like that. idea. Which is awesome because, you know, that, that's, that's how a lot of ideas go, you know, and there is some value to quote unquote swimming in your own lane, mm-hmm. but, you know, and one of these days I will, I will share the story behind that one. <laughs> But if, you're, but if you're on a cross-functional team and you hear that uh, the focus for the future is going to be swimming in your own lane. Uh, yeah, those two things don't go together. No, I, I remember. I heard it once and then I'm like, eh, you know, just a phrase. And I, right. the second and third time, I, my spi- term I heard it, my spidey senses went off. Yeah. And I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. It turns out it was a, it was an uh-oh, indeed. indeed. Yeah. Um but not your um, fault. No, not, not your fault. But um the, 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 the first day of your mouth. I like the data driven book club. Yeah, let us know in the comments what you think and stuff like that. Also, um while we're getting interactive, 
obviously sign up for the Facebook Live. Uh, I will be doing a lot of data points next week. Um, the nature of the conference may, I may have to be a bit more thoughtful <laughs> about where mm. I film and what I film and whom I film. Yeah. Um, yes. But, um, you know, um, I, I, I hope I do half as good a job as Andy did last week. And um, Oh, stop. You nail it. You knock it out of the park. I cannot snatch the pebble from your hand. <laughs> uh, well, thank you. Um, you know, also, if you can rate and review our show on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts slash whatever they're calling it now. Um, <laughs> and uh, that would be great because that helps the search. Yeah, that helps their search engine kind of optimize us. Right. We're at like 40 something reviews and our rating is 4.9. Nice. Like that. So, and are we on? Are we on Spotify? Yes, we are on Spotify. I don't have that yeah. link handy, but um, we'll put yeah, it in we, the are, we are on Spotify, and uh, we're on all the major platforms that that I'm aware of. I don't know what I don't know. Uh, yeah, as part of the yeah. migration that podcast websites do, they they have this whole new marketing dashboard and stuff like that. So, which is really cool. I think uh, I'll be interested to see how that does in the next little bit. We are if I'm not mistaken, approaching another major milestone in downloads. Yes. So we are just above 95,000 downloads. And wow. um, just depending on, you know, when this is, we may have, we may or may not have crossed it yet, but, um, you know, doing analytics and predictive analytics, because that's what we do. Um, that's what we do. Uh, it, probably within 90 days on the outside. I always try to, when it comes to numbers like that, I try to not get my hopes up and stuff. Yeah, yeah. This should be episode 222, assuming, of wow. course, future Frank does record the data point about the continuous glucose monitor. <laughs> well, it'll be 221 or 222. 221 or 222. That's a lot of shows. Isn't that a, line, isn't that a line in Mr. Mom? I think so. 120 or 220. Yeah, that's what it was. It was talking about electricity. Yeah. Electricity. Yeah. Yes. I remember that. We're like almost an hour into this and we needed to get a movie reference in. <laughs> Perfect. Spidey Sense doesn't Perfect. count because it's kind of a cartoon slash comic. That's thing. true. Yeah. It pre yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. But Mr. Mom's definitely a Mr. Movie. Mom. Yeah. There we go. Uh, but and, and Frank, I tried to mute while I was. Uh, coughing and and sniffling and stuff like that if i if i missed any and if our listeners heard them i want to apologize to you i, I didn't mute your, your, your ears may before. burn when i'm editing because i'll be trying to figure out why why your line went dead but <laughs> yeah well and that's fine it's fine i did i, I did mute quite a, quite a bit in here but and it, frank i'm healthy as a horse i well you know other than diabetes and stuff but the um i have not had like colds i was trying to think When's the last time I had a cold? And it, it's got to be like 2018 or something. I mean, it was a long time ago. So anyway, now I've had I've had like three in a row. Emma brought something home and I caught it. I went out to the past summit and coming back, I was all stuffed up, congested. And then I had something else happen. I'm not going to talk about it, but it wasn't pleasant. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm I like, think whatever people will imagine will probably be worse than what it actually was. Probably. But, um, yes, the, the, um, the other thing I was going to say was I totally forgot. I'm sorry. Oh, no. <laughs> but I love this idea of the data-driven book club. We can put links out to books. 
Uh, we could create maybe put a page on the site. Yeah, and, that's actually um, a good idea. The site and or Facebook because yeah. Facebook would have the yeah, and, and we can kind of you know book clubs that people get together and they they talk about it. So we could do that. We that gives us a whole content show right there every month there where we could just talk about the, the book. That'd be cool. And yeah. if people feel particularly strongly, we can have them on the show and interview them. That'd be pretty cool. Mm. That's a great idea. Awesome. I'm digging it. You're smart. You're good at this. You should have your own podcast. I should have a blog, too. <laughs> That's funny. So, actually, um, so far, every month this year, uh, except for November and December, I've had more than 100 posts on my blog. You have been rocking been it, rocking. man. And uh, that was a goal I set last uh, year. And um, so far, I've uh, I've hit it. Um yeah. Yeah, it's been it's been awesome, Frank, and you your traffic is like crazy. Yeah, it's funny cuz I would I was a regular blogger before, but like when I really got regular with consistent uh, uh number of posts per day and stuff like that and maybe one of these days I'll do a webcast or whatever I can kind of show how I keep myself to that schedule. Sure. You've seen screenshots of the spreadsheet, right? <laughs> I have, and it's astounding. It's data your data driven. I am data driven. Whoops, where's the problem? Very cool. Data driven well, even on my, uh, even on Frank's world. So with that, I'm done. That's funny. Okay, me too. We can let the nice British lady take us that out. Sounds awesome. And everyone, have a great day. Thanks for listening to Data Driven. Don't just listen, become a data driver by going to datadriven.tv to sign up to join the community, access to special events, tips and tricks, and more. Sign up today at datadriven.tv.